Reaching the New York Times bestsellers list is a huge achievement and major aspiration for most authors, but it's certainly no accident. To get there, you have to be doing something right. And what that is, I want to find out. I'm Graham Cochran, and in each episode of How to Become a New York Times bestselling author, I'm having conversations with some of my personal favorite authors, all of whom have reached the pinnacle, as I seek to learn exactly what steps they took and what strategies they implemented to get their book to the top of the writing world, and more importantly, get their message out to the most people possible. And if you want to support me and my author journey, pre-order my book now, How to Get Paid for What You Know. It's available at Amazon or wherever you like to buy books. And I'm also including over $100 worth of pre-order bonuses if you take your receipt to grahamcochran.com book and sign up there. Now, today's guest is John Acuff. John is the New York Times bestselling author of seven books, including his most recent, Soundtracks, The Surprising Solution to Overthinking. Published in more than a dozen languages, his work is both critically acclaimed and adored by readers. When he's not writing, Acuff can be found on a stage as one of Inc.'s top 100 leadership speakers. He's spoken to hundreds of thousands of people at conferences, colleges, and companies around the world, including FedEx, Nissan, Microsoft, Lockheed Martin, Chick-fil-A, Nokia, and Comedy Central. Known for his insights wrapped in humor, Acuff shared the stage with an American icon when he opened up for Dolly Parton at the Ryman Auditorium. For over 20 years, he's also helped some of the biggest brands tell their story, including the Home Depot, Bose, and Staples. His fresh perspective on life has given him the opportunity to write for Reader's Digest, Fast Company, the Harvard Business Review, and Time Magazine. He lives outside of Nashville, Tennessee with his wife, Jenny, and two teenage daughters. Now, John and I sat down recently, and in our conversation, when we started to talk about writing, he shared why it's harder to actually keep your voice than it is to find your voice. He described how he transitioned from being a copywriter for corporations to blogging and then to becoming a published author. He shared how to break into public speaking if you're starting from scratch by leveraging your online platform, the audience you already have. How he's using five-day challenges right now instead of webinars to sell copies of his book online. We talked about why you can and should repeat yourself often when posting content online. And in the end, we talked about having the courage to chase your dreams, even if you feel guilty doing it. John is a super approachable guy, very funny, and his books have influenced me for a long time. I think you're really gonna enjoy this conversation, so sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with John Acuff. All right, John Acuff, thanks for hanging out with me today on the podcast, dude. Yeah, thanks for having me, Graham. I'm looking forward to it. All right, so I wanna get into writing, but and this has nothing to do with writing, but I was on your uh, Wikipedia, which it's one of my goals in life is to have a Wikipedia page, but it says that you're an avid runner. And like, I do Orange Theory twice a week and they make me run on a treadmill. Oh yeah. And I freaking hate it. Like today I ran at 12 minutes uh, for distance. Like how far can you get in 12 minutes? I think I ran 1.7 miles, but can you explain to people like me why running is fun? How can you be an avid runner? I just do it when I'm told to do it. Dude, I love running. I For years, I hated it. But then I realized, here's here are the reasons I like running. Um, I can do it anywhere. 
So when I travel, mm. I can do it anywhere. I don't have to look. I don't have to find. Don't have to drive anywhere. Um, I can bring it on the road easily. It's a pair of shoes, a pair of shorts, shirt. Eat super easy. Um, I can run out my front door and do it. I don't have to drive anywhere. It'll limit. There's very little exits for me to go. Ah, I'm, not, I'm too busy to whatever. Um, I get a quick. I get a maximum amount of endorphins from minimum effort. So I tried cycling, but dude, I'd have to go 30 miles to get the endorphins I needed. And I didn't have the time. Uh, the other reason I like it is like, I've never had a flat tire in my shoe. Like I've never had to on the side of the road as cars whip by, try to change a delicate Italian shoe. Like um, it's not, you know, shoes are pretty, they're, you know, they're 150 bucks, 200 bucks. They're not expensive. Um, and then there's a good community. And I think you can do it late into life. Um, mm -hmm. and so, yeah, and, and there's races that there's tons of races. There's some sports that are so obscure. It's like, I got to go to Boulder, Colorado to do the competition. Like, forget it. There's a Turkey trot yeah. on Thanksgiving. There's a 5k <laughs> everywhere. Right. So yeah, for me, and then I, I run the same route over and over. So I, I, it's a way to turn off my mind. So I'm not like one of these dudes. It's like, I got to run somewhere beautiful. Nah, I can listen to a podcast. I can listen to a book on tape. I can work out a book idea. Like in a couple of miles. I ran this morning at 5:45 with a neighbor. Um, it was a great chance for us to connect. And so, yeah, it's my, it's my jam. It's not great for your knees. I mean, I think swimming, like swimming's way better. Yeah. Um, rowing I think is, is really good too, but, and I, I did orange theory for like two years, really like orange theory. So, but for me, yeah, I enjoy running. That's awesome. Yeah. I got into cycling for a while cause my buddy is a pro cycler turned cycling coach and I, I loved it, but I just, it was like, it can't be gone for three hours every week. Dude, you get hit like, by cars. You get hit by in, cars in as part of that sport. I think yeah. if you live in Florida and you ride a bike, like it's a law that you should be hit. They they train yeah. no, drivers it's to not, hit people. Like, <laughs> I don't like that. Like a friend of mine got hit three times and his parents eventually bought him a mountain bike. And we're like, hey, we need to have an intervention. So get like, off the street. And bike riders are so used to it, they barely talk about it like it was exciting. They're like, yeah, I mean, I got hit by a car. And you're like, what? <laughs> I would tell that story every dinner party ever. So, yeah, Absolutely. that's, you know, I have a bunch, my dad cycles. I have a bunch of friends who cycle. But for me, like running I love it. Ru is my jam. Dude, I love it. I appreciate it. I just, yeah, I saw that and I was like, dude, runners. I just, I want to understand what's in the mind of a runner. Sure. But, but yeah. dude, that all makes sense. That all makes a lot of sense to me. I'll, I'll get there one day. Um, bro, let's talk about, so your book start, this is the book. And I was telling you before we went recording that mm -hmm. it's the first time I was introduced to you. Um, I reread it like every couple of years. It's so refreshing. Um, but oh, one thanks. of the things you say, yeah. in chapter two, man, this like spoke to me and I find it in my students who are afraid to start a business. You're talking about fear, obviously, but you say fear tends to be, you said it's schizophrenic and it tends yeah. to argue both sides of the coin, leaving you absolutely no room to stand. Here are the two complete opposite things it will tell you. Don't chase your dream at all. And then if you chase your dream, you have to do it all at once. Um, that that was so I'm, I'm glad you said that because I felt like it gave me permission to feel like well, the way I felt, which is either imposter syndrome. I'm afraid to do this. So in this in this case, with mm -hmm. this podcast, so afraid to start writing. It was so much easier. Like, I don't want to write a book because I've never done that before. I, I've already had yeah. some success over here. It's probably easier if I just do what I'm doing. Uh, and so there's the fear. And then with the moment I'm like, I think I want to do this. I'm like, it has to happen now. And it has to be amazing. And I have to be a New York Times bestseller. Hence why I'm trying to learn how to do that. But can you talk about just that, that two sides of the coin? And like, when you wrote that, have, have you felt that in your own life? And where was that most pronounced in your life? Yeah, I mean, I, I think most of the 
you know, I would no, I would say all the things I write about, <clears throat> I've experienced myself. So I try to write from the trenches. Um, so yeah. if it's if it's a if it's a fear, if it's a challenge, if it's an opportunity. Like I try to write from some degree of personal experience. So yeah, I've definitely I've definitely felt that. I mean, I have a podcast. There's an example. I have a podcast called All It Takes Is a Goal, and it's about goal setting and goal achieving. And I did my initial podcast a couple of years ago. Did eight episodes and quit because I was like, ah, oh, it's it's hard. It's I'm not good at it. Oh, I like just gave it up. It showed up with an ego where I was like, I'm just John Acuff. I can just record whatever. People be amazed. Like it was so lazy, so entitled, and it was broken in like every way. And so then to start this new podcast, I felt both of those things. Like, well, you know, like I shouldn't have one, or it has to be Tim Ferriss level quality, like day two. Like I have to try to get 400 sponsors you know, millions of downloads, Jerry Seinfeld's the guest, like whatever. And so you feel that tension. Um, so yeah, I've definitely felt that. Um, I'm a big believer, like when people say you can be fearless, I don't think that's true. Um, because I think at every new level that you do something new, there's a new level of fear. So the first time I spoke to 10 people from stage, I had 10 person fear and I worked on that and I did the reps and I got a little bit better and I got over that. And then there's, I spoke to a hundred people. I had a hundred person fear. And then I worked on that, did that. Then I had a thousand person fear, 10,000 person fear. So I think fear is always there, but one of the soundtracks I use in my life and a soundtrack is just my phrase for repetitive thought is fear gets a voice, not a vote. So it gets a voice. It's going to be there. I'm going to learn from it, but it doesn't get a vote. It doesn't get to sit at the table yeah. and go, you're not doing these things or here's what you're doing. So yeah. that for me is the difference. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah, the new book soundtracks, the literally the first line in chapter one is overthinking is when you think when what you think gets in the way of what you want. Um, and I'm sure that ties in with the fear, like overthinking about the fear or the perfectionism of how it has to happen. Uh, it or can imposter actually literally, syndrome. Yep. Yep. No, I, lo I love that, man. Yeah. Um, so it definitely, it definitely ties in. And, and I definitely see that with whether somebody wants to be a writer or start a business, go on a diet, any type of goal, there's those types of fears and challenges associated with it. Anytime you try to make your life better. When you, uh, I'm curious, like when you got into writing, like, do, do you compare yourself to other authors? Do you say like, is that, it's inevitable, right? But are you like, yeah. oh, I don't want to publish a book unless it's as good as, I don't know, Michael Hyatt or somebody like, do, how do you? No, I mean, or, I compare, I definitely compare. Cause I think, I think it's a very human thing. Um, and so, I mean, I, I don't know that I compare, I can, I find myself when stuck in comparison, when I'm writing in somebody else's voice, I think when somebody says you should find your voice, find your voice, I think it's much harder to keep your voice. Like, cause mm. voice is really slippery. So there's times where I go, Oh, I, that page had my voice. And then like, all of a sudden I look up and I'm three pages in and I'm, I'm trying to be Jim Collins or I'm trying to be Gary yeah. V or I'm trying, and I'm, and I'm a terrible Gary V. Like I'm a terrible yeah. Jim Collins. I'm a terrible Brene Brown. Like I'm a pretty decent John Acuff when I'll sit in that space. Um, so yeah, that to me is where I would compare. And then like sales wise and platform wise, like there's things like that. But one of the things that helps with comparison is you don't really compare yourself against your friends. So if you'll go make friends with the people you're comparing yourself to it, or celebrate them, it kind of kills the comparison. So even Ooh, somebody great. like, I never want, you know, like, I love my friend Jeremy Coward to succeed. I never go, oh man, I'm comparing, like, I, I love him to succeed. I want him to succeed. Uh, Michael Hyatt, I, he's my friend. I want him to su succeed. Jeff Goins is my friend. I want him to succeed. So if I'll make friends with people and see them as, 
as individuals and connections, not competitors, then I can really appreciate them and enjoy them in a different way. And I can actually learn from them. You can't really learn from somebody you're comparing yourself against. Oh, that's good. And why would that be? Is it because you're just so clouded by the comparison? Because it you turns really into jealousy. Attention? It yeah. turns into jealousy. Like it's impossible if you like comparison doesn't turn into education. It turns into jealousy. So yeah. when you're comparing, you end up getting blind to the good things they have to teach you. I mean, there's been books that I've looked at and be like, oh, I'm so jealous of that book. Like, I can't believe. And then I'll make up all these excuses of why it did well. And then if I'm healthy, I'll go, well, let me let me read it and see if it's really good. And I'll be like, wow, this is actually really good. Like, there's a lot for me to learn here. And if I had been jealous or in a comparison mm-hmm. space, I don't get to learn from it. So that I think that's the that's the danger of comparison. That's huge. Yeah, I love it. Um, and I love, I, I do appreciate your transparency and your can, your candid nature, even in your writing, you've never, you, you don't come across as the, the typical, even business book. Like you, that's one of the things I think that makes you successful from just the outside looking in is when I read your work, I feel like you're a buddy sitting next to me, like saying, Hey, here's what's worked for me. Here's something to think about. It's very approachable and it's not like the guru and then the, the Padawan learner kind of thing. It really feels like and, and your humor helps it softens it but it just makes you approachable sure. which i think gets people to a place where because you could teach somebody how to do something they can understand the how but if they don't believe that they it's possible for them to do it they'll never yeah. take action on it and you you communicate the how but also hey you can actually do this and that's an empowering thing that's a that's a mm-hmm. trick and you're good at it man so i really appreciate that um well, looking yeah, at, it's, it's something i think about dude i know you can tell it's it's all over it um Look, I'm thinking through your career, and I wanted to ask you about this because we're talking to authors, budding authors. I'm a budding author trying to figure this out, and you're looking at – tell me if this is accurate, but I almost look at your writing career as like three phases. There's like the the blogging life, you know? I mean you've been writing professionally, doing copy and other stuff, but just sort of your public stuff, your blogging days, stuff Christians like, which is hilarious, by the way turns into a book you kind of got that era uh and i think maybe it was quitter written around that time too yeah quitter was kind of quitter was the third book but there was like a gift book in between so yeah quitter yeah. was quitter was that era kind of yeah so i kind of have that phase and then I, I look at you in the dave ramsey phase you're you're partnering with them that organization yep. that's where i first heard about you um part of the team doing a lot of cool stuff there a couple of books there and then sort of this next part of your career which i would look at as sort of like your solo writing career not that you weren't ever solo but you've just gone on book after book after book uh, it feels like every time a book comes out you're like posting how you're, you're you got some new ideas for the next book and it's just it's been prolific and then throughout that your your speaking has really taken off um when you look at those three would you say that those are the three phases and if so or even if there's a fourth phase in that i'm missing how has the transition been as a writer for you what's changed what have you learned as you moved along that journey yeah, so I would say, yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think the first phase is really corporate copywriter, corporate marketer. Um, that I wouldn't have understood it at the time because I couldn't have possibly predicted it, but that preparation, so like I'm writing headlines for Staples, I'm writing headlines for the Home Depot, I'm writing ad copy for, or product copy really for Bose, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm doing um, advertising, or I'm writing like copy for Chick-fil-A, like all these brands so that like, that's what a tweet is. A tweet is a dope headline. That's what a slide, like when I speak, you know, like when I do some summary about empathy and I say the way to have empathy in a, in a speech that I'm given to like Comedy Central or Microsoft and I say, 
read less minds, uh, ask more questions. That's essentially a headline, mm. like read less minds, ask more questions. And then I thread it with a joke and say, I know it should be fewer minds, not less, but let, you know, gr grammatically, but less is, uh, was a better rhythm and rhythm is a dancer. So I went with less. So like I'm adding stuff to it conversationally. But so I would say the first was that, um, and that actually really prepared me to speak in corporations. You know, mm. I've got that, like I, I worked in a bunch of corporations, so I feel very fortunate to have had that experience. And then there's the, like the blog kind of, Oh, I get to have a voice online experience, which is stuff Christians like. And then there's the Dave Ramsey, like, Holy cow, there's this whole world where, I mean, I, I tell people I went from speaking to 800 people to 8,000 people in a month. Like when I got there, he was like, Hey, essentially, we're going to throw you in the deep end. Let's see if you can swim. Wow. Like, and just so many opportunities, so many, it was a greenhouse. Like it was a greenhouse where you just got to learn. And so that was a phase. And then, yeah, I started my own company eight years ago. So that's been a phase. And I would say I'm entering the next phase, which is, oh, okay, here's who I'm really trying to serve. This is what I'm really trying to do. I've got a podcast. I'm going to, you know, like I need to figure out the next level. And I'm, I've got a couple of those pieces in place, but yeah, I would say, so I'm not, I feel like I'm in the fifth phase. That's awesome. What, what would you say? Like, so what is the next phase going to look like? Like I, I know the podcast is new. Um, I'm excited about that. All it takes is a goal. What yeah. So the next phase looks look like, like a lot of clarity. So the next phase looks like saying no to a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, the next phase looks like going, okay, here's the type of life change that I think is really fun to be part of. So I'm going to stick on soundtracks for a while. Like I know I'm going to stick on that one for a while. Um, because I've never had a book that people got so quickly. Like, like mm. if you read it, if you even just listen to a chapter, you go, oh, I can see that. And I can see soundtracks at work. I can see them in my family. I can see them in my marriage. You know, it's yeah. a really easy metaphor to get. So I think I'm going to talk about soundtracks for a while, but it also looks like going, okay, here's the amount of money I want to make. Here's like another part of the phase is I have two teenage daughters. One graduates um, next uh, next spring. So a year, a year from now in, in, in essence, and the other one graduates three years from now. So I'm about to be an empty nester with my wife. So that's a whole nother phase. Yeah. Um, I'd also be foolish not to pay attention to like public speaking changed in the last year and a half, like, and it's going to continue to change. There's going to be virtual. So like, okay, well, what does that look like for my business? Um, so yeah. And then like hiring a team and going, here's what we're going to focus on. Here's what we're going to refine. Um, like, so I know I now have like seven year goals where I'm like, okay, in the next seven years, at the end of seven years, I want a million people that I'm able to serve. Like, cause if you have a million people, you can do whatever you want. You can do absolutely yeah. anything you want. Um, like which my favorite example is Mr. Beast on YouTube. Like, you know, number one YouTuber, He's drop shipping cheeseburgers right now. He has a really successful cheeseburger company. That dude didn't get into YouTube to sell cheeseburgers, but it doesn't matter. If you have yeah. 20 million people, like he's making cheeseburgers in ghost kitchens across the country. Most people don't even know that. Like he doesn't own any restaurants. He had Buco de Beppo, an Italian restaurant, in their off shifts, teenagers are making Mr. Beast cheeseburgers. Like that's genius. So like if I can get a million people and serve them well and have this community, then then I can really take my career in fun places. And then I'm also not like, I want to continue to do it. I just did an event uh, last week with John Maxwell and Louis Giglio, and it was really fun to connect with them and go, okay, John's 30 years ahead of me. Like, what has mm -hmm. he done? Like Louis, like 15 years ahead of me, age-wise, experience-wise. Like, so what am I trying to, like, where am I trying to chart this thing and take this thing, you know? No, that's amazing. I, 
I always tell people that without an audience, nothing's possible, but with an audience, everything's possible. And I'm in yeah, the online, I mean, online 100%. Yo, yeah, because people jump to they jump to what they want to sell. So whether it's oh, I want to have a book, well, great, who's going to buy it or read it? I want to have an online course, okay, well, who's going to buy it? If you have the audience, then you can do any of those things: drop ship cheeseburgers yeah. or whatever. Like you, that's that's the asset. The audience is the asset, but it takes something, some connection to build that audience. Which well, that's the thing. Like I, we did a uh, we did two kindergartens in Vietnam with with this blog I did, and we raised the first like thirty thousand dollars in like eighteen hours. And people were like, "How do you raise thirty thousand dollars in eighteen hours?" And I was like, "Well, you spend eighteen months creating free fun content for people first. Like it wasn't that I just was like, "Oh, hey, I need you to give this money to this thing." It was like we had a relationship, and so I feel that about the audience. So I feel like. The next phase for me is really serving the audience, really. I just had a fun call with my buddy, uh, Rory Vaden, and he was like, man, young kind of like, and he described himself this way. He's like, you try to build your platform, your thing, and it ends up being so hollow. And he was like, when I hit the New York Times, I was like, oh, like I've already hit this thing. Like, what's the next thing? And there's always has to be a next thing. He's like, but if you serve people, if you make it about other people, it changes everything. And I think that's true. So that's what it feels like the next phase. That's awesome. I love it. Can you speak a little bit to your speaking experience? So one thing that I selfishly personally love doing is, is talking to people, connecting, empowering, and I'm doing it a lot online. That's the platform that I was given early on, done a little bit of public speaking on stages, not much, but I grew up as a musician and in theater, like love being on the stage. So I actually love sure. like the live environment. And then I got into communication and education, never thought I would. So in my mind, speaking is something that I would just love to do. And as I'm getting into publishing a book and hopefully multiple books, I want opportunities to speak. So I want to pick your brain for, for myself sure. or really for any budding authors or content creators who are like, hey, I don't need to speak, but I'm thinking about adding that. And now that virtual has gotten a lot more mainstream, what would you say for someone like me? How do I think about either is it starting to think about crafting? What is a, a signature talk? Like think about the talk itself that you're shopping around or and or then how do you start to get your foot in the door in speaking engagements where I know you have to work your way up, but what what is kind of a path for someone like me to get into that? Yeah, I mean, I think a big part of it is you have to let people know you do it. So it's like anything else, like do they even know you do it? Um, yeah. And so I think you have to, it's kind of like a couple different trains leaving the station at the same time. Like you have to have content that you can speak on. Like having a book is, is super helpful. You don't have to have a book, but it's one of the ways. Um, so having a book is super helpful. Um, developing the content, doing some free gigs to get the reps in and maybe even get the video. Like, how you know, mm -hmm. like having some good video you can do a trailer um connecting with uh speakers bureaus is another one you know like <laughs> one of the one of the ways to kind of the back doors into a speakers bureau is to go hey i've got this opportunity to speak at an event would you like to would like would you negotiate this for me like you are essentially bringing them a lead and got like it. that's a great way to go hey that's i'm smart. bookable like people want to book me um, they might get, be able to get you more money than you would have gotten yourself. And it tells them like, oh, okay, this person's willing to play ball. Like they're willing to, you know, mm -hmm. versus because speakers bureaus get hammered with like, 
you know, resume, not resume, that's the wrong word, but like speaker trailers, you know, emails, all this like, hey, book me, book me, book me. Um, But if you do that and go, hey, I'm bringing money automatically to the table, like I'm starting the relationship with that, I think that makes a huge difference. But again, it's about like, it's like anything else. I would start in my town. Like, you know, we talked about, you have, you know, nonprofit leadership event. Like you start by going, hey, I've got this great thing I do. Can I come teach a free breakout? Like if the content's great and you're going to show up and you're, you're going to super serve and it's, it doesn't hit their budget, like go do the free breakout and like then use your platform to sell tickets to the thing, like be a partner with that event. So they're like, dang, Graham was like on our side. Like, you know, he really went above and beyond. Like, cause if you said, you know, you specifically, if I was a small event, and it was leadership or whatever space you were trying to get into. And he said, hey, I got 600,000 YouTube subscribers. I got 300,000 email followers, whatever the number is. I would love to teach a free breakout and promote the heck out of your event to get people to come to it. Like there is no smart event in the world that goes, nah, we don't want you to tell a bunch of people about it. Like they would go, wait a second. And if you if they could tell you're not crazy and like you're yeah. going to deliver great content and you're going to like – that's the kind of stuff. Like you would – it's kind of almost like doing a really good internship and that's where you start to go. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Um, so that good. would, I mean, that would be my first thought. Dude, that's, that's brilliant. How do you think about like when you're in the, you've got your books and you're speaking, do you find that you personally are speaking about always the same things? Like do people want to go back to the stuff you've talked about in other books or typically are you speaking about what the latest book is doing the circuits, not only, I mean, probably podcasts and things like this, but is it, does it evolve with the message you want to share? Or do you feel like you're getting stuck with certain messages that people pin no, to you? I, don't, want you I to mean, talk I about? think it's a balance. I think you do what, what they need the most. So if a, yeah. if a client said to me, Hey, you had this change model you taught in do over four years ago. Will you share that? Like, heck yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. But what I would do is I would weave in new stuff too. So like I would find overlap where I'd go, this idea in soundtracks fits this idea in do over. And there's this core thread. I'm going to share that versus, you know, like, so I'm going to, you know, I've got set speeches, but I'm always like, one of the things I'm known for is customization. So like, I'm one of my goals is I want people in the audience to be like, this guy read my diary. Like he, he might not be in my industry. He might not be a chimney sweep. I, you know, when I speak to the chimney sweeps, I want them to go, oh, he, okay, he gets me. When I speak to funeral home directors, I want, you know, I want to be able to say like, hey, here's a challenge with funeral homes. Like, had you thought, thought about expanding your business to doing pet, pet funerals? Because that's a really growing market and people are going to bury one spouse. They're going to bury five dogs. So that's just really interesting. And like, that's what funeral homes are doing right now. They're realizing, wait a second, we could, you know, um, and so I want them to know, wow, he understands me, he gets me. Um, and so the, the messages might be consistent, but they're always kind of updating. And theoretically, your speech should get better every time you give it because you yeah. should hopefully learn a new lesson from that company. So when I go speak to you know Ortho, a diagnostics company, and they say that one of their soundtracks is because every test is a life, I should put that in my speech. As an mm. example of how do companies use soundtracks, here's what Ortho does. Here's mm. what Signet Jewelers does. Here's what Drury Hotels does. Here's what Ritz Carlton does. So it's get, it's progressively getting better. That's awesome. So if if 
an author is starting out and they're maybe they're like a lot of my audience, they have content online. So they're, they're blogging, they're doing YouTube, they're podcasting, they're maybe starting to self publish, or maybe they're wanting to get a traditional publishing deal and start to write. And sure. then, so really the, you know, the book, the book is like one concept in, in a book. How do you suggest they start crafting that first talk? Should it be like, just, just work on one the thing you're known for in your latest content or in general, just craft one talk and shop that around or just be willing to talk about a overall topic and industry. And like you said, customize, because if you're starting out, it's harder. No, I stick with my strength. I stick with my strength. Like if you show up to a bureau and go, I can talk about anything. They know you can't, first of all. Um, And they, they don't like, they want you to have like, here's the thing. I'm really good at this thing. And here's my proof of this thing. Here's my sweet spot. So like, yeah, and I'm gonna like so when you know, I guess and I guess an example would be like, I use social media a lot, but I if somebody said we want you to come teach our team through a speech how to do social media, I would probably pass on that because that's not what I'm best at. Like yeah. and it, you know like could I do it? I could probably do it, but like is it what I'm best at? It's not what I'm best at. So I would take whatever your thing is that you're best at, and then I would go. It's like anything in sales. You go. How do I answer the question, what's in it for me? So an event planner, what, what's in it for me? Uh, somebody in the audience, what's in it for me? Why does this Why does this apply to me? How is this going to help me? Mm-hmm. And that's what I would think through. No, that's good. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of wisdom there. The fear is to not want to niche down. The fear is to want to be everything to everyone. <laughs> but I, but didn't I don't even see that say, working. Like, here's the thing. I agree with that. Like, That's super challenging. I talk with friends about this all the time. And I'm not that niched. I'm really not. Like... Um, I have a couple different verticals, but I'm starting to get more like goal is kind of the space. I'm like, Oh yeah, goal. Like I like, I care about that. I think about that. Like I'm crazy about goals, even off camera, off mic, whatever. That's part of who I am. So I'm, I'm trying to live in the goal space, but I'm not, um, like you don't have to niche down to know, okay, I could go speak at these types of events. Like, okay, I could speak at a, a technology event, an innovation event, like, I'm probably like if this event is for, you know, HR professionals and it's all yeah. subject matter experts, I'm not going to get booked there. So I don't need to try that more. Like I could speak at a corporate event. Here's what I'm, you know. So those are the kind of things that, yeah, the niche, it, you should niche, but it shouldn't be so broad, so narrow that you're like, I can only talk to veterinarian clinics because what I do is I do a veterinarian. Like if you want to be yeah. spe- like be a speaker, you're not going to get that many gigs if you say I can only talk to, you know, to vets. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. That makes sense. It's a good distinction. Um, What's different than like, if you say, I want to do a travel blog about Patagonia, I'm like, I'm going to be the king of Patagonia. Awesome. Like Patagonia is a beautiful place. You can like, great. That's your specialty. People follow you. But like, that's different than going, I want to speak at a lot of events from a lot of, for a lot of different people for a lot of different reasons. That's where like, they wouldn't bring in. It's kind of even like, when somebody comes in and gives a keynote about a personal experience that's not relatable, even if it's an amazing experience, the audience doesn't have a great time. If your experience yeah. is like, I saved my family from a fire, and the whole story is like about saving them from the fire, if you never turn the corner and go, and here's what that means to you, or here's what I learned about leadership, like every Navy SEAL that gives a speech, the great ones are able to go, here's what that is about leadership. Like Jocko Willenick, Navy SEAL, isn't like, Hey, here's how to repel in Fallujah. Like that's not like 
Nobody's getting anything out of that. Instead, he's like, extreme ownership looks like this. Extreme leadership, like, he does a great job of going, this is what's in it for you. And that's the difference. Yeah, Yeah, that's taking it from amazing experience in person and bringing it down to exactly how does how do I care? Why do I care about this? And what yeah, exactly. can I do with like, this? What does this What does this do for me? Yeah, that's so good. So with speaking, I know it's a huge part of what you do. I think it's one of your superpowers. Um, you're funny. You're 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 good on stage, and I know you like it, which is evident, and it's important. Has that been a huge part of book selling for you? Part of your marketing strategy, or is it just part of your business that you just enjoy? And yeah, you might get book sales, but do you, or is there a direct, or direct connection between the two for you? Oh, definitely. It's a huge part of my book sales. Yeah. I mean, that's why it was hard to launch soundtracks during um, a pandemic. So mm-hmm. I was I was thrilled we hit the New York, uh, the Wall Street Journal list, um, I should say, with the uh, with soundtracks because we were missing probably 50 percent of the sales we had for finish finish 50 percent of the first week sales were represented by events. So wow. remove those events and to still hit the list was really challenging, but really fun. Um and so, yeah, it's it's a big part of what I do, and just people knowing that you know that I that I create content. Like you get you know you get exposed to all these people that have never heard of you because most people on the planet have never heard of me, like right. at at all. Um, and so to get to go speak and do something I enjoy um, is really fun. That's awesome. Now you were telling me before we hit record, you're doing something cool. Um, by the time this episode airs, you've already done it. But talk about the strategy you're using, which I love yeah, we'll because it really lines be doing up. It ag- we'll probably be doing it again because it was Good. just so fun. Um, so, yeah, it's if you go to acuff.me slash challenge, basically there's this guy named Pedro Adeo, like A-D-A-O, like totally check out his stuff. But he teaches this challenge model where you basically teach online for five days, and it's really intense content. It's an hour a day. It's free. Um, and you find all these unique ways to go, okay, here's, here's my message. Here's what I'm teaching. So like the first one we did was, um, overcoming overthinking. So we did a five day challenge about, Hey, how do you deal with, uh, overthinking, which was related to the book. And then if like, if you wanted VIP backstage, you could do that. I think it was like $37, not a huge ticket, but it came with a free copy of the book. And it was another way for me to go, okay, let's create. And we had nearly 10,000 people sign up for the free challenge. And then you've got this Facebook group. Like that's part of what's fun is that all of a sudden, all these people that thought they were the only one realized, wow, there's actually other people doing this kind of work. That's encouraging. So the one we did most recently was um, on uh, perfectionism. So we did one called Beyond Perfect. Um, and so I'm probably going to do one of these every three or four months because it's just such a great way to serve a ton of people. You get to share a ton of content. It's essentially like five live events for free. And the mm-hmm. key there, like Pedro, the way he told me, he was like, you got to move your free line deep into your best content. Like not like people, audiences are overwhelmed with like the webinar model where it's like 40 seconds of content, 90% of selling. So like, I really try to go above and beyond to create a bunch of great content. Um, but yeah, I've never seen anything like it. And it creates a really good connection with you and a bunch of people. Um, so yeah, I, it was just win on every level. So yeah, all, all credit. I didn't come up with it by any means. Pedro, yeah. my buddy, Pedro Adeo, we're in a, a men's entrepreneurial prayer group, which is like, Hey, you should try this. And it just like blew my mind. Yeah, and, and if, so, yeah, you so do if you go the, to acuff.me slash challenge, the next one's probably probably available yeah. right now. And from your back end, so you're delivering a ton of value, a lot of content, and then it's ultimately just pointing to the book for you, right? Yeah, so I mean, it depends on 
if I have a book that's recently released or is about to release. It might be that I go, man, I've had this book do-over that I never really taught these four principles online before, but they've been really helpful in corporate speaking. Mm -hmm. What if I went over? That's the thing is like you have to know. It's one of the hardest lessons, in my opinion, as a creator is that you can't assume everyone's seen your stuff just because you shared it on one vertical. So like, I, you know, case in point. I've been doing the community app. I don't know if you've done anything with that. Um, super fascinating. So essentially, community, it's this app that allows you to text people. The problem with text was always it was so expensive. It was a great way to communicate, so expensive. They'd be like, yeah, it's like 10 cents a text message per person. So if you had 100 people on your list and you te- like texted them three times a month, like you do the math, it starts that up. So community came along and was like, nah, um, like it's going to be charged based on the total number of people. So if I have a thousand people, it's a flat fee for the month. I can text them as many times as I want. Um, and so I'm like, oh man, I'm going to build a text list. Like that'd be super fun. And it'd be like Twitter before Twitter got garbage, like where I could just text people. Yeah. I can see the text messages. I'll respond to a bunch. Like I can't respond to all of them. Um, and so like my number, I'll just share it now. It's 615-398. We'll put this in the show notes, I guess. 615-398-6873. 615-398-6873. And somebody the other day was like, oh, man, I already saw this idea on Instagram. And I was like, well, here's the thing. This is an Instagram. And I was like, you like you take the content where people are. Like, if you, you know, like, you don't assume, hey, I shared it on this platform, so everybody come around. Like, that's not how it works. Like, yeah. you take it to where they enjoy getting content. So some of the people love community because they're like, you know what? I'm not like you and I both know people who are like, yeah, I'm off Facebook. Like, I don't like Facebook. I don't like people quit Facebook. So if you're only a Facebook person, you're like, well, I guess I just lose access to all those people. Mm. But if you say, here's my core content, here's how I share it on multiple platforms, then you really get to serve people instead of going, no, there's one, like I've already used it. It's old. Like I, you know, some of my most popular Instagram posts are screenshots of tweets that'll be tweets from like three years ago. And like, nobody's ever like, hold on. Like the arrogance to think people remember what you tweeted three years ago is stunning. Like, that's what I have to remind myself. Like if I'm like, no, I've already shared this. Oh, did they write it down? Like their whole life stopped. They've got it as yeah. a tattoo and they still it's remember. Is their, that what happened? Like, their journal. Yeah. Yeah. It's in their journal. Like they named their kid after that thing you said. Like, of oh course not. Like get over no. yourself. Like share it again. Like, yeah. So that's, you know, I always, the joke I always do is like, nobody's mad when Bono sings one or where the streets have no name. Like if right. some, if you went to a U2 concert and he was like, we're only going to do new songs tonight. You'd be like, boo. Yeah, like, exactly. we want to hear Joshua Tree. Like, that's yeah. not – the repetition isn't failure. It's excellence. No, that's that's so good. I, I think Ramit Sethi said once, like, if, if you're lucky enough that someone gets to hear you a second time, you should realize you should be so lucky. Like, don't assume they'd even yeah, hear you a second time. Yeah, what a great way to say it. Yeah, he's super smart. No, I love that, man. And I think it helps a lot of my people are content creators. So even with – blog posts or videos like i've been doing youtube and blogging for like 12 years and they're like dude i how do you keep coming up with content i'm like well i'm kind of saying a lot of the same things over and over yeah. again in fresh ways like i don't yeah. have much else to say yeah. but the people that found me yesterday weren't reading my blog 12 years ago so they they're probably also were some raising of were... kids they don't remember it like they forgot <laughs> yeah. their anniversary they forgot yeah. their wedding anniversary they're gonna remember remember your joke you did nine years ago and like that's the other thing i didn't this is me talking to me, like, because I'll be like, 
Oh, man, I've already shared that. And then, like, my social media manager will repost something, and it'll blow up. I'm like, oh, I forgot that thing. That's great. Like, if you're a content creator, you're creating too much content to remember it. It kind of reminds me of, like, there's there's giveaways people do where they're like, hey, I'm giving this thing away. You just have to, you know – you know, send in your receipt number. Nobody checks the receipt number because that is a waste of time. If a thousand people do it and 10 people rip you off, you'd rather just have those 10 people get the, the free thing than have to hire somebody to check, to cross-reference the receipts. And so it's yeah. the same with like, you have to take the same attitude to sharing content where like, some if somebody says, there's like been one person ever named Joshua who told me, I still remember his name, was like, oh, you already used this joke. And I was like, Oh, I should have checked my 88,000 tweets before I did this one again to make sure I like, come on. Oh, oh, that's so good, man. I love it. There's so much wisdom there. I appreciate you sharing that. I think, I think it's encouraging too for people to remember, like, I don't have to, people are afraid that they won't be prolific or as prolific as I think other people are. And I think a, most of us, if you have a message, it can be chopped up and disseminated in a lot of different ways or applied in different ways. It's more, way more multifaceted than you think it is. But then two, the repetition. I think your audience is served better when you continue to remind them of the message the, the gets message. better. The, it does. The message gets better. Like the 10th draft gets better. Like, and, and you find ways to stay connected to it and fresh. And yeah. And I would say that like, it's not fun to admit this, like as a young man, I probably would argue this. I think the average creator has like 10 like core ideas, like, or Mm. maybe 15 core ideas that they talk around their entire life. And so like, you know, for me, perfectionism was one of them. Soundtracks is now one of them. Um, You know, there's like, it's not a thousand. It's not like you want to think like, no, 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 no. Every, like it's not. And you go like, like the five love languages has sold millions of copies. Like Tuesdays with Maury was a great, like it sold 15 million copies. Do you like, would it be reasonable for Mitch album to be like, whew, I just got to come up with like Thursdays with Hank, you know, and hope I sell 15 million. Like, no, oh he God. celebrates that thing. And it's now one of yeah. his pillar messages. Um, and he doesn't feel like he doesn't then try to go. I have to duplicate that. Like, yeah. So I think if we can admit that we can, And that's challenging. It is like, it's challenging to Mm. me, but I think that's true. That takes a lot of the pressure off. I I just, we had Dan Miller on the show and I was talking to him about 48 days to the work you love. And, and he's written other great books too, but he's really known for that, that space the last 20 years. And it's like, yeah, he seemed so content to build his brand around that message of helping people find their calling through their, their work and enjoy it. And I was like, dude, that's a great model that for me to see that he's not tired of the message himself. He sees how valuable that core one message is. Totally. Yeah. He gets it. He's, he's brilliant at that. Yeah, he really is. Um, let me ask you this, this this podcast is called how to become a New York times bestselling author. And I'm asking everybody, but what does being a New York Times bestselling author mean to you? And it, there's, you can mean nothing or everything or something in between. But when you first hit that list, like, was that a goal for you? How did you feel? Or do you care? Do you not care? Like, I know it's it's just a, a yeah. I mean, a I definitely cared. I I mean, if somebody tells you they didn't care, I, that I don't know. I'd be challenge. I I would challenge that. But like, yeah, you definitely care. It's a really fun validation. Um, mm-hmm. It's a really you know, it was it was a, a fun confirmation. Um, I think, you know, for me, 
Um, it was something I knew would be part of my every introduction I do when I speak for the rest of my life. Like, so that was, that was meaningful. Um, it wasn't yeah. like something that it didn't change my life dramatically necessarily, where I do think it opens doors in the sense of you can say, Oh, well, John's a New York Times bestselling author. He'd come talk to your team, whatever. Like, I think it's a good, good vetting. Um, but it's not one of those things where it's like, it's kind of like, all the studies where like if a lottery ticket, if somebody wins the lottery and they have bad money habits, like you can give them $10 million, they're going to use those bad money habits. And then like seven years, they're going to have a cigarette boat and like credit card debt in Tampa. Um, and so like, so I don't, I wouldn't say like it was, it radically changed my life overnight, but it was something I was really excited to hit. I've hit it twice. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think, uh, yeah, it definitely was meaningful to me. Um, it definitely was something special and I'm, I'm glad I'm, you know, super glad I got to do it. Uh, I'm love it. I'm, I'm excited for you, dude. I, I wanted to just read this final quote that just spoke, spoke, spoke to me so many times going back to the book, start again. Um, the, you talk about dreaming and you say the world's definition of dreaming is often incredibly selfish. It involves ignoring everyone, you know, and love, working on some private passion in the depths of your basement, going off on an adventure without, without anyone else. And then weeks later, letting people know you're not dead. And you go on to talk about how we've like basically banished the idea of selfishness as if we shouldn't have these our dreams as if they're selfish. We shouldn't have these dreams again, going down to two options. You're good at pointing out the dichotomies. You said it's either abandon every commitment you have and dream or resign yourself to an average life in order to honor your commitments. That felt like me. Like I had dreams uh, as a musician, rock star, actor. Those were my dreams. God had other plans. Uh, he's given me a really cool path in doing something different. But I learned early on from disappointment to bury my dreams and like just try to be a good husband, good father. I got two daughters mm -hmm. as well. Uh, and it took me a while to allow myself to dream again. And me oh, writing yeah. a book and getting published and, and moving in this space it was like years of denial that this was a dream I had and it, it was work for me to say, I want this. Mm. Um, has that been hard for you? It may be in the early stages of saying like, wait, this is something I want and it's not selfish to chase after it. I don't have to leave my family behind to chase after a dream. Totally. Totally. I mean, I think, I think most people have some degree of, of thought that they don't have the permission to do it. Um, sometimes it's, it's a family of origin thing. I was on a podcast the other day of this guy, Steven Scoggins, and he said this on the podcast, so it wasn't private. He said, one of our family soundtracks were Scoggins get by, don't get ahead. They get by like, that was something mm. his dad said. And like that, like that'll stop you, you know, like yeah. if that's your thought of like, okay, Hey, there's a limit. There's a, um, so yeah, I, I mean, I think my current one is like, yeah, I'm gonna grow a business. Like I never, like that was never something I thought about, but it's become a dream in the last 10 years where it's like, oh yeah, if I do this in a wise way, if I steward this well, I can help even more people versus just doing it like in this small way. And then my wife has been great at going like, hey, go do your job. Like we're not putting, like we're not putting guilt on you. You're putting guilt on yourself and then you're passing it on to us. There's a story that I think is worth the whole price of the book about business travel that she changed my mind about business travel um, in soundtracks. And so it's, yeah, I've, I've done that. I bump into that pretty regularly and have to kind of go, okay, well, how do I work through this? So yeah, I think it's really common.
Yeah, no, I, I believe it. But I appreciate you and appreciate that book and that line in particular because it's it's what I'm living right now is like fighting the it's wrong to chase the dream because especially oh, yeah, if you've dude, already totally if you've even especially I don't know if you felt this if you've had some success you you almost feel like should I just be okay with this success I've had so much I shouldn't want to dream yeah. for something else that's new right like yeah don't be greedy yeah don't yeah be totally greedy. yeah. Well, oh. and part of that, I mean, if we share a faith background, part of that is busted up evangelicalism, yeah. where it's like we act like that God was mad that the um, the guy doubled his talents. He wasn't. Right. He like they no. threw a party. Like he was, you know, he was like, "Way to go!" Like that's yeah. awesome. Like come come share in the celebration. Um, and so I think yeah, there's a some of that has some broken um, like faith interpretations in yeah. the background of like success is bad or sinful or. Yeah. You know, that, that kind of thing. So I've, I, I know I actively work against that where I'm like, uh, cause I had a Christian musician say <clears throat> in Nashville where I live, if I bought a $75,000 suburban, people would say, good for you. That's a great family car. If I bought a $75,000 BMW, Christians would say like, shame on you. Jesus rode a donkey and like same wow. price, different brand, different reaction. And wow. like, so all the changes was the perception. So I think, I think that we as believers should raise each other up and cheer yeah. and be like, yeah, go steward, like steward it, like steward that, like, yeah. multiply you know, that's it. That's yeah. amazing versus going, well, I mean, it must be nice. You know I mean? I, I mean, yeah. again, like I think Jesus owned a robe, but no, that's, that's fine. That's fine. You have, you, you're going to live on a river. Okay, fine. I mean, I'm, I mean, not yeah. everybody gets a river, but like, good luck with your river. I just, maybe you could hold baptisms in it and redeem it. Oh I'm just saying right. oh, it sounds dude. fancy. Oh gosh, I could we could I could talk a million hours about that. Hey, thank you for bringing that up. You're 100 percent right. Um, but thank you for fighting for that and for people to dream and for paving the way and doing it yourself, dude. I love that you're being 100 percent you. Uh, the world's better for it. Your books are amazing. Uh, everyone listening, to the new book is Soundtracks: The Surprising Solution to Overthinking. John Acuff, thanks so much for your time, bud. Yeah, thanks, Graham. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with John. I'm so grateful that he came on the show. I loved his insights and had some good laughs as well. Be sure to pick up his new book, Soundtracks, The Surprising Solution to Overthinking. I also referenced the book Start a lot in this conversation. I think that is a fantastic read for anyone starting anything and dealing with imposter syndrome, fear, it's already been done before, how's this gonna work out? Just a super encouraging and practical read. I think you'll love it, you'll laugh a ton too. Pick up Start as well. That was the first book of his that I read. And then go to acuff.me slash challenge to check out his latest challenge uh, and sign up for it when he's doing it next. And also, again, if you want to support me and my author journey as I try to hit the New York Times bestsellers list with my debut book, How to Get Paid for What You Know, go to grahamcochran.com slash book. You can pre-order it there or anywhere you buy books and consider buying a copy for you and a friend who wants to start an online business or monetize their knowledge, passions, and skills. I'm giving away over $100 worth of bonuses. If you simply bring your receipt to grahamcochran.com slash book, you'll get two chapters of the book to read instantly and a bunch of other goodies that you can apply right away until the book comes out. It's just as my way of saying thank you for supporting me and supporting this book endeavor. Again, all of that is at grahamcochran.com slash book. Thanks for hanging out with me today. I hope to catch you on another episode of How to Become a New York Times bestselling author.